So great to be with you this morning. You know, I woke up this morning with the absolute conviction that God was going to do something spectacular in everyone's life this morning. I don't know if you can feel it, just, just some expectation that something is going to be different today. And so I just pray, Lord God, that as we go through the word, Lord God, that that, that expectation would become a reality, Lord God. And if there's someone in this hall who has not got that expectation, Lord God, I pray you'd put it in their hearts right now, Lord God. Let them know that no encounter with you leaves us the same, Lord God. Father God, I ask that every person here would touch the hem of your garment, would feel your presence, would know your truth, would have Jesus revealed in a greater way to them, Lord God. I speak into every heart here and I say, receive the truth of your maker. Receive the truth of the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the glorious, majestic one who came to save you, transform you, bring his glory to you and through you, Lord. Thank you, Father. And all of God's people said, Amen. So we are talking about the book of Matthew. And the reason I just love the book of Matthew is that Matthew was Jewish to the core, although he was a bit of a reprobate Jew in, that, in the fact that he was a tax collector. So he was kind of playing both sides. But but once he got saved, he became this man who was determined that his fellow Jewish citizens, his fellow Jewish culture would experience Jesus like he had. And he, was, he wrote this book with the, the intent that the Jewish nation would come to know Jesus, Jesus as their Messiah. So when you read through Matthew, you see these glorious examples of Jesus almost unveiled. Yeah. And through, from beginning to end, Matthew is painting a picture of the king of the Jews and the king of the world. He was saying to his fellow Jews that Jesus is the king you have been waiting for. Jesus is the supreme Lord of all that you have been crying out for. And not only have you been crying out for him, but the entire world has been crying out for just such a king. I've heard someone say that everyone wants a king like Jesus, they just don't know it. That every yearning in every heart is really to have a Lord, a King, a Father like Jesus. And when we see Jesus as, he's, as He really is, every heart bows and says, yes, I want that. I want to know Him. And for the world out there, so many of them have been fed a false Jesus. They have been, they've had a, a Jesus spoken about that is so different from the Jesus of the Bible that, that their hearts just reject that and say, you know, I don't want that self-righteous, critical, impotent Jesus, that Jesus that, that all he wants from me is to go to church and take my money and just, you know, make me live a miserable life. And yet, when Jesus is truly unveiled before them, as the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the glorious one who speaks world into existence just by his words. The majestic, almighty king who powerfully rescues the ones he loves. Who reaches into our darknesses and brings us out. Who, who touches our pain and, and brings us into wholeness. The God who stands as a fortress about us and provides a, a safe place for us to be whole and right and fully ourselves. Truly how we were meant to be created. And when we see Jesus for who he really is, there is not a person out there that would not bow their knee and say, 
Yes, I want that. Because when God created you, he put inside of you the desire for Jesus. And so as we read the book of Matthew, that's really to a large extent what Matthew is doing. He's kind of unveiling the Messiah, Jesus, to his people. We are going to be looking at a portion of scripture that involves a wild and incredible storm. I don't know how your life goes, but certainly for me, I've had a few storms in my life. You know, you, you're going about God's business. You're doing what you think God tells you to, to do. You've, you've married the person that you feel like God has told you to marry. You've, you've started the job that you felt like God led you to. You've started the business. You've initiated some work process. You've engaged in a relationship. All the, the way, all in a way that you felt God was leading to you, you too. And your expectation was because you were doing God's will, it was just going to be like sliding down a slippery slide into a gloriously beautiful pool. With one of those um, drinks in the pineapple shells with the umbrellas. You know, you know you just, it just got this picture of, oh, everything was going to be great because, you know, I've just followed Jesus. And then, oh my word, that person you married who was lovely and fantastic the day before the marriage suddenly turns out to be a real person. <laughs> you know, they have desires and likes all of their own that are different from yours. And suddenly you find this marriage thing is more work than you thought. You know, that job you started, it, it turns out there's some fire there. There's that work colleague that keeps undermining you. There's those things that just keep going on. And it's like, wow, this is a lot more than a slide into a nice pool. And, you know, stuff starts coming at you. And the temptation is to say, ah, missed God. Back down. Going back the old way <laughs> where it was calm and peaceful. Am I speaking to the right crowd? Have any of you experienced this? <laughs> well, the disciples had such an experience, and it was a very literal experience. And, uh, you know, uh, there, there are probably a thousand reasons why God set up this situation and did what he did. But, you know, one of the reasons, I believe, is that he wanted to show us that, that when we're following him and resistance comes, don't stop. Press in, move forward, because there's, there's a fantastic, glorious unveiling of Jesus and yourselves at the other end that is so worth it. So worth it. So we're going to read that story, and it is found in Matthew 8 from verse 23. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It's a short por portion of scripture, but kind of an action-packed one. It starts in verse 23. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. The story is also told in Mark 4 from verse 36 and in Luke 8 from verse 22. So from time to time, I'll allude to those accounts because they all kind of highlight different things. But mostly I'm going to stick in Matthew's account. 
Interestingly enough, of the three accounts, so Mark, Luke, and Matthew all tell the same story, but Matthew was the only one who was in the boat. So, so Mark is kind of relating Peter's story, so he's kind of, it's a second-hand story, and I'm sure it's a great and accurate story, but you, as you'll see, there's some details he misses. And Luke also, he was, he was speaking to people who had experienced Jesus, and he was writing a history from first-hand accounts. Matthew was the only one who was actually in the boat. And as you'll see later, this kind of plays into the way he spoke. I want to start with the resistance that they experienced. Matthew doesn't say it, but the other authors say it. How Jesus said to them, let's go to the other side. So like you and me, they were following Jesus' directive. You know, they, they weren't like in rebellion, just going out doing their own thing, you know, just resisting God, that God had to kind of send a storm to stop them. No, they were ju doing Jesus' business. They were going about his mission. They were, they were following his directives. And so they're all in the boat. And another one of the accounts said there were many other boats with them. Matthew didn't mention that. I think he was just so overwhelmed by his personal experience. He just forgot about the other boats. But they all... They, they're following what Jesus says. And then it says, without warning. How, how often does that happen to you? Without warning. You know, it's like, it's like just you weren't expecting it and suddenly, bam, psh, things are just wrong. You know, what you expect doesn't happen and you just hit the wall or you hit resistance or you hit, hit opposition, you hit conflict. You hit a lack of finances. You know, you just hit stuff. And this resistance never warns you. It never tells you it's coming. Yeah. It's just bam, there it is. So without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake. So that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. You know what I'm, I'm very interested by? Is that Matthew uses that word, word furious storm. It's one word in the original Greek. And it literally means earthquake. The other authors who wrote didn't use that word. They just said storm, like a bad storm. We know from the geography of the region that storms on that lake were furious. The, the way the geography is and the lake is low-lying and the way the winds go, that, that when storms came up, they were furious. But Matthew's sitting in the boat. He's saying something else. He's saying the storm wasn't just like any other storm. It was like a seismic opposition that came at us like thunder. You know, the, it was like in an earthquake where you can't tell what is up and down and everything's moving and it was just crazy. And this is why I say he was the only one in the boat out of all the accounts. So if he says it was like an earthquake, I'm believing him. <laughs> and then, and then my friends, he says at the end, and Jesus was sleeping. Have you ever had that? Without warning, 
your life is just turned upside down. Someone betrays you, stock market falls, something bad happens. It's just like the rug is removed from underneath you. Everything's spinning, falling, crazy. And then Jesus is sleeping. You know, it feels like to some degree you're crying out to him. You, you're asking him for direction. And it just seems like you're not hearing anything. And I just thought of this uh, thing that has happened to me from time to time. You know, I hear about the prophet coming through the church. And I'm like, I'm going to be there. I'm wearing bright clothes. You know what I'm talking about? Because the prophet is going to call up people and he's going to prophesy over people. And if I'm wearing a bright, luminous yellow shirt, he's going to notice me and I'm going to get a prophetic word. <laughs> so, you know, I'm here, the prophetic, you know, the prophet's coming through town and he's going to prophesy over me. And lo and behold, I go to the service and he notices me because who can't in that shirt I'm wearing? And he prophesies over me. And he prophesies how my neighbor's dog is about to have puppies. And, you know, sooner or later, in 50 years, I'm going to have children, and they're going to be lovely children. And this, he, he does this long and involved prophecy about everything except the seismic earthquake I'm in right now. Have you ever had that occurrence? And, you know, I, I sit there and I'm like, God, are you real? Do you hear me? Are you sleeping? Have any of you had such an experience? Maybe you didn't have the prophet experience, but you know, it's just like, it's like you're wanting to hear something from Jesus and it's just not coming. And he's speaking about all other things, but this one thing you need, he appears to be sleeping. And Matthew, to some degree, is describing that kind of a situation. The world is in turmoil and Jesus was sleeping. Now, in my mind, now that I'm out of the storm and I can look back objectively, I, I would have to say that's a clue that maybe it's not as bad as I thought it was, you know. Maybe that's a clue. But in the moment, you can't tell that. In the moment, you can't tell that. But maybe if you were going through the situation, you would open your Bible and you would turn to Romans 5, verse 3. And there, right in front of you, it would say, we also rejoice in our sufferings. And in your heart, you would say, God, I don't need to know that now. <laughs> but you would read on. Because we know that sufferings produce perseverance. Yeah. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. And you would notice that in the storm, something is happening to you. You would notice that some of the things you held on to before just suddenly aren't giving you the comfort they used to. Some of the things that you were relying on before suddenly aren't doing their job. You know, I can imagine the disciples in this boat. Look, the, look, the, the uh, geographers tell us that waves on that lake get up to 12 feet, which is four meters. Which, and the, certainly those were small boats. They would have been overwhelming the boat. They would be in danger of sinking. And I can promise you those disciples weren't sitting there. What should we do? You know, they were doing everything they knew to do. I promise you that. They had buckets. They were bailing. They were rowing. They were blowing. I mean, I don't know. Whatever they could think of, they were doing it. They were shouting at each other. They were, you know, the, I, I can guarantee you everything they knew to do, they were doing. Yeah. Because 
we've all been in storms and we know how it is. We try this, we try that, and we discover over time that some of the things we relied on just don't work the way they used to. And, and I think one of the primary things that storms are meant to teach us. First of all, is that resistance is not a sign of God's displeasure. I think that's a very important thing because we are very tempted to think of this. Later on, the disciples, not in this account, but in the other accounts, would say things like, Lord, don't you care that we are going to drown? So in other words, there was this, this way of, you know, there's a possibility that the storm can give you a negative outlook toward God. But I want to tell you that storms are not necessarily an indication of God's displeasure. But that resistance forces us into the arms of Jesus. Because after they had tried everything, they had pulled these ropes, they had lifted this, they had bailed that water, they had thrown this ore out. I don't know whatever they could think to do, lighten the load. I, I'm pretty sure was Peter was thinking of throwing John overboard. You know, it was just, you know, they, they had tried all they knew to do. They turn to Jesus. And you know, you say to me, gosh, you know, I turn to Jesus so much in these storms of my life. But I want to propose this to you, that it's only when we let go of all the other options and turn to Jesus as the only Savior, as the, the only one who can really make a difference. I feel like that change in the way we see him, not as like another option, as another way of doing it, as kind of like a, a, a last resort. When we turn away from him in that respect and we turn to him as the only way. There's, there's a different thing because now, you, now you're not saying, Jesus, make it fine for me. Jesus, make me rich. Jesus, get me the perfect spouse. Jesus, whatever. Now you're saying, Jesus, what must we do? Yeah. Jesus, what's your way forward? Jesus, I need you. And now you're much more likely to hear his voice, which, is, which has probably been speaking to you all along about looking at him in a different way, about looking at circumstances in a different way, which is exactly what happened to the disciples. Resistance forces us to find Jesus. And as we looked at that scripture in Romans about how res um, suffering creates perseverance and perseverance, character and character hope, is that resistance trains us for greatness. You know, for years I went to, to gym and I, I did dumbbell curls with 0.5 kilograms. So, so yes, some of you are getting it. You know, 0.5 kilograms is very, very little. And a dumbbell curl with 0.5 kilograms is not going to give you any muscle. Just, just want to tell you that. If, you, if you're doing dumbbell curls with 0 0.5 kilograms, enjoy. 
unless you're three years old, it's not really going to do much for you. It's the resistance that builds the muscle. It's, it's picking up something that you couldn't pick up before. It's, it's working at something that you weren't able to do before and, and relying on His presence in you that builds something glorious in you. That brings, builds might and ability and strategy and authority. Resistance trains us for greatness. It puts a hope in us that lets go of every other thing. It sets us free from false hope and causes our hope to be set on the only one who can make a difference, and that is Jesus. So they do call out to Jesus, and um, Jesus, being Jesus, the glorious one, responds. And he responds like this. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? I get they were saying, did you see that wave? You know, it's like, what are you talking about? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Now, what's amazing for me is that Luke, when he gives this account, he gives Jesus slightly different words. And, and for Luke, he says, he, Jesus turned to the disciples and said, where is your faith? In the other two accounts, Jesus comments about the smallness of their faith or their no faith. And for me, that, that talks about an interesting concept. The Bible talks about in Romans 12 how every person is given by God a measure of faith. Every person has a capacity to believe. You were born with the ability to believe. You were born with the ability to trust. You were born with the ability to look to things for help. You were born with the ability to believe that something good would happen. You were born with this ability. And when Jesus was rebuking them for their no faith, at the same time, the disciples were equating it as their faith in the wrong direction. So sometimes, you know, we, we think about our faith is too small. I want to propose this to you. It's not so much that your faith is too small. It's that your faith is in the wrong direction. You're trusting in things that do not have the ability to save you. You're trusting in things that do not have the ability to help you. Your boss, he may think he holds in his hands the ability to promote or demote you. And that may lead you to spend a lot of time trying to make him think you're great and fantastic. And that of itself is not a not an, um, very bad thing, but I want to propose to you that he doesn't hold that key. I want to propose to you that there's a God in heaven who is the God of your boss. And I want to propose to you that God can move his heart any way he wishes. 
And I want to propose to you that the one you need to be looking to for your promotion is not your boss, but Jesus. And what that looks like is that when you do your work, you're not doing it for your boss, you're doing it for Jesus and you're presenting work that would glorify him, that would make him look good, that would answer the problems of this world, that you're working for a bigger cause than just your job. You're working for the glory of God on earth. And I want to propose to you there is no boss on earth that wouldn't see that and say, I want that. And Jesus, looking into all of our hearts, is saying, where is your faith? Where is your faith? We're going to have an election next year, and we might have a totally different government. And I want to say, no matter who's in government, they don't have the power to save South Africa. There is only one who does. And as we go about living our lives in South Africa, can we do it for the glory of God? And I want to propose no matter who's in power in that circumstance, God will lift up South Africa. Where is your faith? Jesus looks in the hearts of the disciples and says, where is your faith? Clearly their faith was in the wind and the waves. Clearly they believed that they were stronger And then Jesus says something. He says he rebukes the wind and the waves. But in the book of Mark, he says it a bit differently. He looks at the wind of the waves and he literally addresses them and he says, quiet, be still. In more modern terms, it would be shut your mouth. What is amazing is that this exact term is the term that he uses. He used to cast demons out of people. When he was healing a demoniac, he looked at the demoniac and he said, be still. Exact same word. It's translated a bit differently when it's talked about deliverance. But, but the Greek word is exactly the same. In other words, Jesus looked at that storm and he looked and he knew what, who was behind that storm. He wasn't deceived into thinking this is just unusual weather pattern. He stood there and he said, the devil is trying to stop God from accomplishing his will. That will never happen. He looked the storm in the eye and he said, quiet, be still. And you know what? The disciples were amazed. Why? Because there is only one in the all of creation that has the power with his words to mold creation. And that is God himself. The God that spoke into existence the world with words. Who, Of course he can speak to the winds and waves and tell them where they must go. Because all of creation, Hebrews tells us. Every part of this created world is upheld by his powerful word. His word determines what happens and what doesn't happen. And when Jesus stood up and said, quiet, be still. At the same time, it's like he's standing up in your lives. And when those storms come, you know, they don't just come with with unusual circumstances. They come with a narrative that says, you're no good. You're a failure. You can't make it. You don't have what it takes. God has left you. It comes with with statements like that. And Jesus stands at the stern of your boat and he stares that storm in the face and he says, quiet, be still. This is my child, my chosen one. This is the one in whom is all my delight. This is the one in whom my power rests. This is the one that that I indwell. This is my emissary. This is my ambassador. Quiet, be still. 
They have what it takes. They have what it takes because I am with them. Yeah, it's a good word because it turns out it's not about us. It turns out it's about, it's about a God who is unstoppable, who lives in us, for whom nothing is impossible. It's about a God who, who holds the creation in his hand and molds it and makes it any way he wishes. It's about a God who would stop at nothing to find you. And it's a God who will stand at the stern of your boat and declare to the storms, the winds and the waves, quiet, be still, shut your mouth. I just love the response. Then uh, the revelation that comes to the disciples in this whole moment. I mean, Jesus has stood up and he's just told a seismic earthquake type storm to be quiet. And the Bible says instantly there was calm. And the disciples... It talks about, in verse 27, the men were amazed. I feel like that's kind of an understatement. How do you feel? The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. The point was that Jesus was more than a man. That was what was dawning on him, was dawning on them. That what, this wasn't just a wise man. This was, wasn't just a clever preacher. That this was God himself in human form, standing in their boat. And it says they were, they were amazed. What is wild for me is that both Mark and Luke say it a bit differently. They say they were afraid and amazed. Mark says it, they were terrified. What amuses me is both Mark and Luke don't mention how afraid the disciples were in the storm, but after Jesus has calmed the storm, now they are terrified. Why? Because the demonstration of raw power that they saw coming from Jesus was greater than the raw power they saw in that storm. They were standing and looking at a man that carried something that was beyond human experience. They were looking at a man who, who rode down storms. As I labeled the sermon storm rider, they were looking at the storm rider of all storm riders. They were looking at the creator of the universe. And the power and the majesty and the glory that he carried at that moment was so much greater than any display of power they had seen in creation. And all they could say is, oh my word. I don't want to get on the wrong side of him. Oh my word. Are my words right? Are my actions right? Because what I saw there, I don't want to ever, 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 ever be on the wrong side of that. And I think part of this narrative is, is to raise to our hearts and our minds something that C.S. Lewis said about, about God when he was equating Aslan in his books to God. He said this, God, Aslan is not a tame lion, you know. It's that God is not a tame God. He's not like a pet 
that we keep and we feed and we bring out when we're in need. That God is power itself. The the power that we see anywhere on this earth is just a small drop in the bucket of the one who created it, released it, put it in place. That he's majestic and holy and he can do as he wishes. And here's something that that I feel like is so important for us. I don't know what you're facing, but what I'm facing, I need a powerful God. I don't need a God who's just, will come to me and say, there, there, Carol, everything's going to be okay and nothing changes. I don't need a God who just gives into my tantrums, you know, oh, 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 you need a Mercedes. Okay, sure, sure. I don't need that kind of God. I need the kind of God that will stand at the stern of my boat and say, quiet. Be still. Shut your mouth. I need the kind of God that will part seas. The the kind of God that will cause walls to fall. That will move mountains. I need that kind of God. I need the kind of God that when I'm oppressed and, and things are coming and my mind is whirling and I can't see what's up and down, who will look straight at my mind and say, peace, be still. This is the way it is. Go this way. I need a God that's not manipulated by my emotions. I need a God that knows what's right, that's going that way that I can follow. And this is the kind of Jesus that was displayed to these disciples, that this buddy that they'd been walking with, talking with, eating with, gosh, he was so much more than a friend. And for all time, God is also a friend. I don't want to diminish that, but he's much more than a friend. And, you know, I feel and I see in the church today something that is so insidious and so destructive. is a church that is putting God as their their pet, their favorite one, the one they pull out when they're in need, the one who's calm and quiet and will learn tricks. You know, I just pray this prayer, and he does that. It's so great. But I... I feel like South Africa doesn't need a demonstration of that God. I feel like South Africa needs a demonstration of a God who will stand on the mountains of South Africa and declare this is the way, walk in it. And I feel like God is calling a church that will stand with him at the stern of the boat. And as he is saying, quiet, be still, we will say, quiet, be still. We will look at the the lives of the people around us and we won't be fooled. We won't lead them into just complacent living. We'll look at them and say, there is God who loves you, serve him. Serve him. So they were both amazed and afraid. Two quotes that I love. One's by a famous theologian called Oswald Chambers, and it says this, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything. And I think that's what happened for these disciples. They fear or their faith because fear is just another word for faith. It's where you put your trust. And fear is putting your trust in negative things. And what happened for these disciples is they took their faith off the storm and they put it on Jesus. Someone who might be closer to home, the Christian rapper Lecrae said it a little bit differently. He said this, we fear circumstances so much because we fear God so little. And the glorious deliverance from fear happens when we see a powerful God. 
And when we align our lives with him, as opposed to asking him to align his life with us. And as we do that and we on his mission and resistance comes and instead of turning back and going the way we come or crying out, oh, we're going to drown, God doesn't care. We look at the Jesus that we know and said, Lord, come and stand at me with the, at the stern of the boat or let me come and stand with you. As you declare, so I will declare. As you do, so I will do. And we will go forward and we will do what you have asked us to do. Because we are made in his, made for his presence. Everything we are meant, sorry, I'm going to ask you to change. There we go. Because we are made for his presence, everything we are meant to be comes alive there. Everything that has ensnared us, controlled us, deceived us, and given us false com comfort is destroyed. We are driven by love and awe deeper into his arms, and we are changed. There is nothing as powerful, majestic, beautiful, and pure as Jesus. All of creation is crying out for his unveiling in us. You know, over the years, I feel like I have had front row seats to some of the most powerful things that, that I feel are possible. I've watched, I've watched people with crippled legs for over 20 years stand up and walk. I've watched arms that were completely mutilated grow out and be normal. I've, I've been around, prayed for, and I had other people pray for cancers that have disappeared. I've literally felt lumps in people's bodies just flatten under my hand. I've seen marriages restored. I've, I've heard, I've been participants in praying for and seeing the miracle of a deformed baby in a mother's womb being born completely normal. And I feel like this, to even a greater degree, is what the disciples had. They had front row seats on the God of all glory displaying his power. Yeah. And as we follow him, on his directives, on his mission. The resistance that we face will only serve to give us front row seats on the demonstration of his power. And I covered that for every one of you, that you would feel the power of God move through you. You would feel situations change. You would see the lame walk. You would see the blind see. You would see marriages restored. You would see the, the addicted come right. You would see depression removed. I've literally prayed for people who've been depressed, and they said this to me. As you prayed, I felt depression leave like a wet blanket folding off me. Yeah. I covered for you those front row seats in the demonstration of God's power. And the way we get those front row seats is that when the storms rage, instead of relying on our own ability or heading back the way we've come and abandoning the proposition, we reach out to Jesus. We note that he's sleeping. And so therefore our hearts tell us, of course this is going to be okay. And then we stand with him as he demonstrates his raw power to the world. And we let it speak to us. This is the God who loves me. Amen and amen. In conclusion, nothing is impossible for Jesus. Storms only drive us to him from where we are changed and have front row seats as he silences them.
Lord, I just pray for every person here. Lord God, there are people going through storms right now and they've been tempted to give up, Lord. And some of them even came as a last resort to church, hoping that God would speak to them. And here I just speak to their hearts and I just declare to you, you're free, you're safe. God is with you. Don't look back, back. Don't step away. Keep walking on the assignment that he's given you. Follow him for he indeed will still the storm. He indeed will still the storm. For some of you, those are external storms. For some of you, those are internal storms. Those are like your mind just racing, your fears, your doubts, your dreams collapsing, just things going on in your mind. And can I do it? Will it happen? Does God really love me? Is this really possible? And I just hear Jesus speaking into those storms too and saying, peace, be still. Quiet, be still. And I hear him speaking to every heart. I'm more powerful than you'll ever imagine. I'm more loving than you can possibly comprehend. I will move the mountains. I will calm the seas. I will make a way. I will cause walls to fall. I will open doors. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. For nothing can stand in my way. There is no such thing as impossible in my kingdom. For what I say happens. And as you follow me, you will see it come to pass. You will see it come to pass. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And in closing, I just want to ask, if there is anyone here, I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed and your head bowed. But if there's anyone here, and as you're hearing the story, you have to say this to yourself. You know, although I've been around church a lot, I don't know that I've really made Jesus the Lord of my life. If I'm honest with myself, He's just been one of the things I've trusted in. And I'm going to make two calls. And the first is to just, for Christians, and you've, you once upon a time made that call, but you realize it's just slipped. And it's just not like that anymore. And you want, to, you want to just renew and you want to say, God, I recommit myself to having Jesus up there front and central. And if that's you, I just want you to ask you to raise your hand. If there's anyone who would like to make that recommitment. I'm not going to make you come up as I do in normal altar calls. But if that's you and you would like to make that commitment what Jesus is the first and most important part of your life. Just raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, I pray for those people and I ask that you would do that. Can we all pray this together, church? Lord Jesus, I confess that you have not been Lord of everything. And Lord, I, I commit to bring all of my life into following you. And Lord, I thank you as I follow you on what you've asked me to do, that you will calm every storm. You will set me free and you'll reveal yourself to me. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. And last of all, I just want to ask if there's anyone, perhaps you've already raised your hand.
perhaps you haven't. And if you are honest, you need, you want, you, you want to say that the way I've been living my life up to this point has not been the way that has indicated that Jesus is in charge. And I would like to make him in charge of my life. Is there anyone who would like to do that? Just raise your hand. If, even if you raised your hand before, and this would be you saying, I, I want to turn away from the way I've been living and I want to live a new kind of life. I want Jesus to become the source of all my joy, life, and leadership. Is there anyone who would like to do that? Just raise your hand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, I just pray for everyone here, and I ask for your great grace upon us, Lord God. The joy of this message is that there is nothing impossible for you, Lord God, that you are the King of all, the glorious one, that, Lord God, we can trust you completely because you're that powerful, you're that able, you're that majestic and glorious and incredible, Lord. So we give our lives to you afresh, Lord God, and we say, come and do what you've always wanted to do. We trust you and we follow you, certain of a great outcome. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand? Thank you, Lord. You're so good and you're so faithful. If you have need, prayer, need of prayer for anything, I just specifically feel like if you are facing an impossible situation, we would love to pray for you. And there will be leaders up here who can pray for you. So please come up and uh, ask someone to pray for you. Also, um, if you are new here and you're a visitor, we would love to see you at the visitor's table. And then don't forget our encounter God night tonight. It's going to be so great. God is going to be there. I just have a deep sense that God is going to heal people dramatically. So if you are sick or know anyone who's sick, bring them. Otherwise, have a really glorious Sunday. God is with you. Amen. Amen and amen.